If a poll were taken of the favorite underdog stories, of which would you submit for nomination? Uh, perhaps going back a couple of years to University of Maryland, Baltimore County, stunning upset of top ranked Virginia, first time a 16 seed defeated the number one seed in NCAA basketball history. That's a good entry. Uh, how about 1980 when the American hockey team consisting of college students in the Olympics uh, defeated the professional world's best Russian team? Uh, that certainly would qualify. And one of my favorites, of course, takes us back to 1983 you know, in the NCAA championship game for basketball where uh, North Carolina State uh, stunned University of Houston uh, with the King Elijah Wan and Clyde Bretzler, future NBA Hall of Famers. Uh, I sat there in my living room in Mississippi and watched that game on my portable TV with rabbit ears. and just barely pick up what was going on. Uh, and I was engaged. Uh, there were only two dunks in that game. Fox Lima Java uh, didn't have any. NC State had the first basket of the game and the last basket. Fitting beginning and ending, if you're from North Carolina, I guess. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, this stuff is taught in uh, North Carolina history. You can find it in the history books. No, not really. It's not necessary. Everybody knows about it. But the underdog story that I want to kind of warm us up with now really doesn't have anything to do with the sports world. It goes to the business world in uh, 2016. There was an American documentary filmmaker named Jennifer Nelson who released a production titled Sadie Happy Birthday. Uh, the film was the culmination of a four-year battle against the giant record label Warner Chapel Music uh, over the uh, Warner Chapel's dubious copyright claims to the song Happy Birthday to You. Uh, several years later, uh, Jennifer Nelson had been working on an MTV reality show, uh, My Sweet Sixteen, uh, with documents of lives of wealthy teenagers whose parents through uh, lavish 16th birthday parties for them. And uh, her exposure to these stories had piqued her interest in the birthday celebrations in general and to the birthday song in particular. Uh, so to make uh, the long story a little uh, shorter, she decided to uh, make a documentary about the song and then discovered that Warner Chapel Music claimed to have the copyright to that song, and if she was going to use that song in her documentary, she would have to fork over $1,500 for the legal right to do so. Well, uh, Jennifer Nelson, not to be outdone by that, decided to investigate uh, the song's origins and found out that back in the 1890s, uh, kindergarten teachers Patty and Mildred Hill had already copyrighted the uh, melody for uh, 
Now, happy birthday to you, but the melody then was known as Good Morning to All, and that was uh, the, the first uh, mention. In 1935, uh, the melody had been popularly uh, co-opted for birthday celebrations, and even though the lyrics had not been uh, recorded yet, uh, the, the song was acknowledged to have been in the public domain for many years, and so then Jennifer Nelson decided that she might investigate and see what else Warren Chapel music had been up to. And Warren Chapel was a little frightened by that investigation because they knew that there were some aspects of their business that were not exactly on the up and up. And so Warner Chapel music settled with Jennifer Nelson for $14 million and uh, acknowledged that the tune Happy Birthday uh, is indeed part of the public domain. And you can sing it uh, without having to pay a royalty. So who has a birthday today? Um, over here, Lynn has a birthday. So this means I don't want to sing the song. Because I can't sing. But Grant can sing the song. <laughs> When you get home uh, without having to pay a royalty. <laughs> so, happy birthday to you. Here we go. Bye-bye. My underwrought story I want to talk about today is one of the greatest of all time. Uh, you'll find it recorded in the book of Judges, chapter 7, um, which is on page 207 of your <laughs> Bible, if you want to follow with me, uh, I'd like to read uh, verses 9 through 25, uh, Judges chapter 7, uh, beginning at verse 9 on page 207. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, Go down to the camp of Korah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the many knights and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. So when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a kept of barley came tumbling into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent, and struck it, so that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. His comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided his 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. 
And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men uh, who were with him uh, came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, and when they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars which were in their hands, and then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars, they held in their left hands the torches, and in their right hands the trumpets to blow, and they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against the army, and the army fled as far as Bethlehem around Zerera, and as far as the border of Abel Mahalah by Tath. This is an amazing story. Now, if you're just, just joining us in our study of the book of Judges, I want to take just a couple minutes to provide the context for us so we know what's going on uh, with, with Gideon. Uh, the Midianites uh, were a marauding band of Bedouins. They were not farmers. They did not raise their own food. They thought it made more sense, certainly, uh, certainly easier for them uh, to just go and steal the food of other people. So this is why year after year, for seven years running, they would come in and steal all the food uh, of the Israelites, both uh, their, their crops and uh, their flocks. And after seven years of this, people of Israel uh, cried out to the Lord. And uh, so God sent a prophet to preach to them, and then he commissions Gideon to fight the upcoming battle with the Midianites. So, big battle's coming up. Gideon decides he needs to raise an army, so he goes up and he musters up 32,000 men to fight. And he's there with his 32,000 man army and you know, God comes with special troops and he says, not too many. Here's what you do. Uh, tell everybody he's afraid that they can just go home. And so Gideon, who kind of still shaking in his boots from uh, the commissioning about going up against 135,000 Midianites uh, announces to his troops, okay, uh, all of you who are afraid to go into battle, uh, you're dismissed. You can go home, no penalties, uh, no questions asked. And so 22,000 of them go home. I mean, just like that, he's lost over two-thirds of his army. And God looks at the troops and he says, still too many. So he commissions this test to ask Gideon to take the man down by the, the spring and uh, have a drink. And so God instructs Gideon to separate the ones who lap up the water like a dog and those who would kneel down and drink that way. We don't really know why uh, God said that he would take the lappers and dismiss the kneelers, but that's what he did. And so Gideon's got his 300 now. That's all he's got left. Uh, 9,700 of them go home because they knelt to drink. And uh, 
Gideon's still afraid, even though Gideon has, has asked the Lord for a sign to confirm that he is going to be victorious in battle. And so the Lord, being very patient with Gideon, says, if you're still afraid, uh, go down to the edge of the Midianite camp and listen in on what you're going to hear. And so, uh, so take Gary, your servant, with you. you know. And so he does. Uh, Gideon and Purus sneak down to the, the edge of the camp and they hear one Midianite soldier tell the other. And I just had a weird dream. Modern interpretation of the scriptures as we go. And uh, the other one says, hey, what did you dream? And so uh, he tells him of what he dreamed. Uh, you know, he was there in this barley loaf. Um, you know, barley was something that was only the very poor would eat barley. It was mostly, uh, you know, fodder for, for, for cattle or for goats or whatever. And in today's vernacular, um, being you know, the city dwellers that we are, uh, we, we don't really relate to raw barley, but we do understand uh, Purina dog chow or Purina goat chow. So if you can get the picture in your mind, the bag of Purina goat chow rolling down a hill and flattening this midnight tent, that's sort of the way it was. But, but the idea here is, as the uh, interpreter of the dream says, this can be none other than Gideon, the son of Joash, God has given Midian into his hand. In his own words, he's saying, there can be no other explanation. We're all going to die. Because God has given Midian into the hand of Gideon. Well, what do you think that did for Gideon? Well, it pumped up his confidence to be sure, but something else, which we'll look at uh, again a little bit later, it, it prompted him worship. He was in awe of what God had done and what God was about to do. But what do you think the dream did for the confidence of the two Midianites there, one who had the dream and one interpreted it? Uh, well, it scared them to death. They believed that the dream was prophecy. It was absolute prophecy. It had to come true. Now they believed that God had indeed given the army into the hands of Gideon and they were absolutely terrified. And now it's not Gideon who was the chicken hearted, it was the Midianites. Now, again, this is a great story. It's fun, it's entertaining, it's not embarrassing like Ahud and Eglon, that story from a few weeks ago. Uh, it's not gory like some of the stories in the book of Judges. Um, but is there anything beyond just the, of the fun, entertaining part of it that speaks to us today? Yeah. This is a message of hope. The hope that comes through God's salvation. The story of Gideon and his 300 is a picture of what God does for us through our deliverer, our champion, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the story uh, communicates uh, this message of hope to us in uh, several curious ways. So let's look at them one by one. The first way that the story brings hope to us is this, that God brings hope through
morning, Gideon, we learned that God has gone out of his way to reassure his people. You know, Gideon needed a lot of reassurance. Uh, first of all, he needed to know who uh, was speaking to him, who came and said, uh, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. You know, who was this personage? And so he needed to sign. So uh, the, the, the angel of the Lord sticks out his staff when Gideon brings him with a gift of, of a goat and a broth and the unloving cakes. And the, the fire just comes out of the rock and you know, just consumes it. Uh, that should have been enough, but that wasn't. Uh, so uh, then we have the occasions there where Gideon lays out his fleece not once but twice because he needed constant reassurance. And God was being very patient with Gideon and offers him that reassurance over and over again. And uh, then finally we get to the part where we just talked about uh, Gideon going down to the edge of the camp of the Midianites with his servant, uh, Purim, and hearing the dream and its interpretation. Now, you might think that any one of these signs ought to be enough for Gideon, but it wasn't. He needed to be reassured over and over and over and over again. And God is being very patient. What does that tell us about God? What does it tell us about ourselves? Well, first of all, it tells us that we also need to be constantly reassured. We need to be constantly reassured in God's ways. We need to be constantly be reassured that He has indeed saved us. But we don't have to fear being in some other state. And what does it tell us about God? It means that he patiently and constantly reassures his people. And as a result of that constant reassurance, you know what it produces? Hope. You know, we're really not any different from Gideon. We can you know, be armchair quarterback and criticize him for being faithless and so forth. But when we, we think about it, we, we rarely put our anxieties in God's hands and trust him. Isn't that true? Now, no matter what God does for us, we have to admit we find it very hard to joyfully and confidently trust in the Lord. And the truth of the matter is this, that we constantly need reassurance from God that He is with us, that He is there for us. So how does the Lord reassure us? First of all, through His Word. I love this verse in 1 John 5, 3. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, there, there's the reassurance. And the uh, other verse uh, from Romans 8, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let the reassurance of that verse, those verses sink in. Uh, how else does God reassures uh, other than his word, well, through other people and through uh, the, the most uh, unlikely of people. You know where Gideon got his reassurance? It wasn't from fellow believers, it was 
from those uh, who would be categorized as his enemies, the guy who had the dream and the guy who interpreted it. Uh, nonetheless, God used uh, these enemies to communicate the truth to Gideon. And that leads us to the other way, is, is through uh, circumstances, Gideon, of course it was divine appointment, but Gideon and Korah just happened to be at the spot where one Midianite uh, tells his dream to the guy who's going to interpret it for him. Just happened to be there. Do you believe in coincidences? No. Uh, God orchestrates everything. And that should be encouraging to us. Is it encouraging? Does it give you hope? Knowing that God is in control and He speaks words of affirmation, words of assurance, which brings
great advantage. But let's take a look now at God's strategy. So here it is. Uh, first of all, surround the Midianite camp with a line of men of a few hundred feet apart. And this way the enemy will feel like they are being attacked uh, on, on all sides. Next stage, make sure you do this late at night and surprise and confuse the enemy. Uh, this was done at the beginning of the middle watch, would have, which would have been around uh, 10 p.m. And then they were to sound the, the trumpets, uh, also known as, uh, I mean, they weren't trumpets like, you know, we, we have today. Uh, these would have been ram's horns, uh, also known as shofars, uh, which were generally used to call the, the Hebrew people to worship. Uh, you know, trumpets have long been used in battles in the American Civil War. Trumpets were used, you know, da 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 uh, That was charged, and then there was another signal from the people uh, to, or the trumpet, uh, to, to signal uh, retreat. And uh, so there were, there were different tunes uh, that uh, the, the bugler or the trumpeter would, would sound that would give direction to the army because, you know, they didn't have walkie-talkies and high-tech in those days. So, so you have the trumpets and or the, the ramshorns. And uh, by the way, uh, remember when the, the people of Israel crossed over the River Jordan uh, just opposite Jericho, and the Lord instructed them to march around the, the city of Jericho, you know, six days in succession, uh, and then on the seventh day march around it seven days, and uh, they were to blow trumpets. Remember how many trumpets uh, were, were blowing? there uh, as the army of Israel marched around the city. Uh, there, there were seven, seven trumpets. For every trumpet, that represented a certain number of soldiers. And so if you've got seven and you have this huge army, something, seven trumpets representing this huge army marching around Jericho. Now, think, what would an enemy think? It's late at night. You're either just waking up or just getting ready to lie down and go to sleep, and you hear the sound of 300 trumpets. But what does your mind tell you right away? Man, we are doomed. We are about to be run over by this colossal army. They've got 300 trumpets. No telling how many soldiers they've got. And then when the the trumpets were, were long. Uh, they had these clay jars uh, that sat on top of a, a torch to hide the flame. So when they would break the jars, get, get the picture here. And in one hand, they got a they got a, a stick carrying a torch with a clay pot on top. With the other, they got the ram's horn. Uh, where did they keep their swords? You know, their weaponry. Uh, they don't have any. All they've got is the horn and the clay pot and the torch. When they break the clay jars, you know, when you hear 300 jars break in the stereo, surround sound, all around you, and you're not used to, you know, really loud noises, wouldn't that get your attention? And then all of a sudden, you know, you see fire light in the sky all the way around you. Scared of the living daylights out. And then there was this battle cry a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And then you see uh, Pandemonium. 
here's what's happening. Uh, the Minimite army probably would have been divided into uh, three battalions, if, if you will. Uh, one to take over guard duty for the first watch, one for the second watch, and one for the third watch. Later in the scripture we see uh, uh, you know, notations about a fourth watch, but that was something that the Romans added later in the days of antiquity we're talking about here. There's just three watches, and so at the beginning of the second watch, uh, you've got one third of the Midianite army uh, just coming off guard duty, so they're headed back to their tents, and you've got another third of the Midianite army uh, going to take their place and to man their posts. And while this is going on, we've got the breaking of the jars, you've got the, the torches being lit up, and you've got the, the, the sounding of the trumpets, and you've got uh, the battle cry of sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And so the people who were asleep, who were awakened by all this, the other third, uh, they walk out of their tents and they see in darkness uh, men who are armed with swords, who are looking to find their way out of that situation. Everyone is in a panic. And so everyone turns upon the other, not realizing that they were slashing swords, trying to create a pathway to get out uh, against their own comrades. And the people of Gideon, or the people of Israel who were led by Gideon, never had to live together. Didn't we just hear a verse read to us from Ephesians that salvation is by grace through faith and not my works lest any man should boast? Do we remember reading in this account of Gideon that God did not want a huge army to go up against the Midianites? He wanted a smaller army so that everyone would know that the battle was the Lord's so that Israel would have no cause to boast. We're beginning to see that this is a picture of how God saves his people. He saves through grace, powerful through grace, not by anything that we do. We, we are participants in a sense, but God is doing all the work. So, it reminds me of a few verses in, in, in Scripture. Uh, here's one of them, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. He chose the low things of the world to confound the wise. So let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And uh, this one from 1 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. See the reference there? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Well, you see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us in uh, these verses from uh, Corinthians as well as the passage? Well, uh, I got behind here. There's one other passage. But my thing doesn't work, so never mind. God puts his treasure, his power in jars of clay that is people like us and no matter what you may go through. You might have seen the, the phrase there on the, on the screen. It said, God will never forsake us. 
We are not forsaken. See that constant reassurance that just comes all the way through Scripture. Now what does it produce?
That's a lot of their political beliefs. But let me take you back to the story of Gideon just for a moment because we see it being played out here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even though there were 72,000 angels standing already, sitting already, all the Lord had to do was get the commandment that they are there. But 72,000 would be too many. The divine slaughter. Would not happen to the end. The divine slaughter would come upon the one and only one who was qualified to bring deliverance. And so the 72,000 had to be retained, sent home. You, you stay at home. And then the divine slaughter takes place on the cross. So let me ask you. Who is responsible for killing Jesus? I mean, where does the ultimate responsibility lie? Was it the Romans? You know, they were the ones who carried out the execution. How about Pilate? He was the one who sentenced Jesus to death. Maybe the Sanhedrin, they were the ones who tried Jesus and found him guilty of blasphemy and turn him over to the Romans. How about the Jews who just really hours before had cried out for Jesus' blood, let him be crucified? Maybe they are ultimately responsible for the divine slaughter. Who was it? Us. This is not what we think. We are the ones who are ultimately responsible for Jesus' death. It's our sins that are there. That's a good answer. But it's not the right one. See, there is one and only one person who is responsible for the death the Son of God on the cross at Calvary. God the Father. He killed Jesus. He sacrificed His only Son. He brought the divine slaughter upon Him so that He might bring deliverance and salvation to us. Here's the picture we get. And the Old Testament story of Gideon is fulfilled in the story that we know well. But in case you're not convinced, let me read just a couple of scriptures. There are many, just, just a couple of scriptures. Uh, one from Acts chapter 2. Uh, Peter speaking says, This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And going back to Isaiah 53, now, he puts it even more bluntly. He says, We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, that he, that is his father, 
has put him to grief. It was the only way. There was no other way. Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father except by me. There's no other way we can be delivered from sin except through divine slaughter. Apart from the divine slaughter of Jesus Christ, we have no hope. But through his divine slaughter, and we have the hope of God. We have more than hope. We have the assurance. The assurance of deliverance from bondage to sin. Before we close, I want to rewind the tape just a little bit and notice a couple of things that we might have overlooked that kind of helped that the story have more impact. And Gideon overhears one of the many lads telling another about his dream. And uh, it's a, a barley lad. We talked about barley um, briefly. Remember one other time in scripture where a barley loaf is mentioned? A lot of people had come out to hear Jesus speak, and nobody brought lunch with him, but Andrew found a young lad who had five barley loaves and two fish. Again, a reference to the incident. Something that's not really special at all. But God takes what is overlooked, what is regarded as unimportant, and He does something truly wonderful with it. And the coming of a deliverer to the people of God is being prophesied. What we find in the story of Gideon, that prophecy would be fulfilled. Gideon heard it from the one having the dream. And uh, mentioned this earlier, but do you know what Gideon did after he heard that dream? Being articulated by the one who had it by the other soldier who interpreted it. And what he did? He worshipped. Here's what verse 15 says. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Gideon worships God. He is an all of God. Let me ask you, do we have good reason to worship God? Do we have good reason to worship the Lord for his act of delivering us from sin through divine slaughter?
May we all realize that we are being commissioned by the Lord himself to go forth from this place with a message of hope for a world out there that desperately needs to hear it. Let's pray. The gracious God, we sit stand before you in awe of who you are, how you from the, the foundations of the earth that decided to send your son to die for us. And then throughout the Old Testament, you orchestrated history, had it recorded in scripture for us to, to read and see how it all points to you. And then when we can see things in scripture <coughs> beneath the surface, things that we may, may, may never have seen before, and, uh, see how uh, truly amazing uh, this story of redemption is. May we be in awe. May we be in awe of you. We ask that you lead us in worship and the time that we have remaining uh, here this morning. And that you commission us to be your messengers as we go forth to talk about this message of hope for those who are in bondage to sin. Thank you that you use people like us to do what normally just scared the living daylights out of us. But you are with us.